500 feet, turn left. Or right, I'm actually not sure. today you know i'm kind of like feeling it's getting a little heavy over on this side it's like filling up more on this side or normally it's more heavy on this side and i don't know i just kind of like you guys are like filling it out over here really nice good to see you all on this side of the room hey um i'm just glad to be here today uh with you as we continue in our series i want to tell you a story uh before uh, i was a pastor i was a traveling musician for a while and uh i got the chance to go to asia a lot and I'll never forget the first time I went to South Korea. And before we flew out to South Korea right into Seoul, uh, our host calls and says, hey, we're not going to be able to pick you up from the airport. Can you figure out on your own to get to Taejeon, which is like two hours from Seoul in the suburbs. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, okay, yeah, I've never been there before. We'll figure it out. Now, I tell you this because you got to remember, this is, you know, 15-something, 20 years ago, before cell phone and Wi-Fi service is what it is today. Okay, so we get off the airplane, and we have no service. Can't get a signal. Can't find anyone who speaks English. Speaking of which, we had to figure out how to change our money from U.S. to yuan, the Korean currency, which that was a whole story in itself for another time. And then we just were completely feeling the anxiety, feeling lack of confidence. What are we going to do? We literally just, okay, well, let's try to flip the coin, let's get on this bus. So we got on this bus and we start going and then we got to one of these like, like travel stops and sure enough, we get connection in our phone. It was like celebration. We, we got a signal and realized we were on the wrong bus. And so then we got on another bus and then, but I'm telling you what, when we got connected to a signal and we figured out how to get directions to where we were going in a country we had no idea, we'd never been to before, the amount of confidence, the amount of peace that came over us, uh, just because we knew we were heading in the, in, the, in the right direction was just a game changer. I tell you that because today as we kick into John chapter 15, if you're new to Miles City, we've been going verse by verse all the way through the book of John, and today we're in John chapter 15, and we're going to see the importance of being connected to Jesus. And when we're connected to Jesus, it is a game changer. And the amount of peace and the amount of confidence that comes over your life is like no other. And we're also going to see that when you're connected to Jesus, you're going to produce some lovely fruit. Don't these look good, right? You just want to just eat them. Uh, you produce some just lovely fruit. We're going to see the different types of fruit and the things that should be coming out of our life, fruit that is coming out of our life on purpose uh, when we're connected to Jesus. And if you are a Jesus follower today, my hope is that this will encourage you when you think about the fruit that is coming out of your life. And if you're not a Jesus follower, if you are disconnected, that maybe this will inspire you to want to get connected to Jesus. Okay, so that's our focus. I'm going to pray. And I, I just want you to know, if you've been coming to Miles City for a while, and, and you see the rhythm of our teaching team as we, we kind of set up the intro like I did with the story, and then we set up attention to why should you listen to us for the next, you know, 20 minutes. And then we pray. And the reason why we stop and we pray is because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what we say, it matters what this says. And this is just a gift that God has given us to speak to us. And so we just ask that God, and I'm asking all of you to ask God to just speak to me, speak to us. And then 
selfishly, it's like to calm me down and to say, okay, God, get me out of the way. So that's why we do it. It's not just a transition. Um, it's with purpose. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's just so powerful. Thank you how it shapes us, how it convicts us. Um, and just, it's a way for you to relate with us. And just thank you for the relational gift of your word. It's unbelievable. God, please, as always, get me out of the way and uh, just uh, humble all of us and speak to us exactly where we need to hear it today from your word. We love you and we pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 15, uh, symbolically, you might just want to go like this because buckle up because we're going to go through the entire chapter, okay? Cancel your lunch plans, okay? We're going for this. John chapter 15, uh, I want to just set this, this stage. Um, most likely, we're now on the move. For the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been in the upper room. It's been Passover, talking to his disciples, the final discord, the final message to his closest friends. And then from the previous chapter, uh, we see that they got up and they were on the move, uh, heading towards the Kindred Valley. We'll talk a little bit more of that in the coming weeks. The Kindred Valley, heading into the Garden of Gethsemane. So in route, in this path, there would be vineyards all over the place. And so Jesus then gives this amazing analogy to help connect us uh, to what a relationship with him looks like. And the symbolism of this um, analogy that he uses is so rich and so amazing. And we could spend, you know, 10 weeks on this passage, but we're not going to. So, um, but we're going to get going here. John chapter 15, we'll start right there in verse one. It says, say it with me. I am the, one more time. I am the, that's right. He's the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Now, I want to stop here because back in this time, when you're talking to Jewish people, the vine had always been for thousands of years been a reference to Israel. In their minds, the vine was Israel, and their birthright, by birthright, was connecting them to God, and their birthright was connecting them to heaven, which Jesus comes and shakes it up and says, that's just one vine. I'm the true vine that truly connects you to God relationally, that truly connects you to heaven eternally. And the problem is, is that idea of just banking on a birthright or banking on uh, just what you were born into to get you connected to God or get you connected to heaven still goes on today. I was just born this way. I was born in this religion. And so many can so in a, just a really dangerous way connect your connection to God based on what you were born into. And Jesus is going to shake you up today if you're thinking that and say, no, 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 no. That's not how it is. I'm the true vine. And then he continues in verse two, he says this. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, says he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he says, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so here we see, again, we can break this apart and spend a lot of time in this. There's so much here. But what we see is Jesus is saying this simple analogy. If you think about a vine, and he says, I'm the vine. And he's telling his disciples that you're the branches. But if you're not connected to the vine, then you're not going to produce fruit. So you got to be connected to produce fruit 
fruit. And we know this, this whole concept of producing fruit and being connected to the vine, being connected to Jesus, then you will produce fruit. If you're not connected, then you will not produce fruit. However, sometimes we can get tricked into thinking, well, what type of fruit is it? Oftentimes we can start thinking that it's outward success, it's accomplishments, it's prosperity, it's popularity. But scripture defines what this type of fruit that we're supposed to be producing out of our lives. Uh, We see this later in Galatians chapter 5 in Scripture. And some of you, if you grew up in church, you probably have a a song uh, that goes to this. But you got the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as you take notes, when you're connected to Jesus, here's the first thing. You will be producing when you are connected to Jesus. You will be producing fruit when you are connected to Jesus. Here's a statement. There is no such thing as a fruitless Jesus follower. Now that's a little bold, and there's a lot there, but there's no such thing as a fruitless Jesus follower. And when I say that, I say that in the context of never having any fruit. There must be some fruit that started to multiply out of your life, the fruit of the Spirit multiplying out of your life. However, could there be seasons in your life where you're not producing fruit? Could there be a day where you're not producing fruit, a week that you're not producing fruit, a month, maybe even a year where you're not producing fruit? That is possible. But to never have any fruit come out of your life just does not make sense if you are a Jesus follower. But that's why we have such a kind and caring God, just like the great gardener, as he says. If there's a, if there's a branch and on the vine that's not producing, oftentimes gardeners will come, right? And they'll lift up the branches and they'll put trellises there to lift up the branches so that they can get the sun so that they can bear fruit. And in the same way, we have such a rich, amazing shepherd God that comes to us in our dry seasons and when we're not feeling like we're producing fruit and he will lift us up so that we can produce the fruit that we are supposed to be producing. Uh, Now, what type of fruit is this? This isn't something that we just achieve, the things that we're achieving. It's the things that are happening because of what we are receiving. When you think about a branch, and when you think about the vine, when you think about fruit, what happens, and I'm not a scientist, but what we read about is is we know that the vine produces a sap that then goes through the branch, and then that sap then helps produce the amazing fruit like we see here. And in the same way, the fruit of the Spirit, when we put our faith in Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, almost like the sap of the Spirit, is flowing through us so that we can produce the fruit that only can be produced by Him. And and we know this as Jesus followers, and we know we're not perfect, but we have to recognize the fruit because sometimes we don't give credit where credit is due. And so, like, maybe, for instance, if you were kind to that difficult person this week, where did that come from? That's the fruit of the Spirit. When, when you said no in self-control, when you could have said yes, where did that come from? The fruit of the Spirit. When you could have lost it on that person, but instead you had patience, where did that come from? The fruit of the Spirit. When you were going, or as you're going through that trial in your life right now, in that circumstance, and you should be surrounded with chaos, but instead you're surrounded in peace, where does that come from? The fruit of the Spirit. We need to recognize that and praise God for the fruit of the Spirit that He continually pours out and give glory to Him for what He has been producing in your life this week alone. But it also says in this passage, I want to highlight, it also says not only will you produce fruit when you're connected to Jesus, but then notice what it says here. It says that you will be pruned. 
So there's the second one. You will be pruned when you are connected to Jesus. But let's be honest. Who likes pruning? <laughs> that hurts. That stings. We don't like it. We're wondering, why are we getting pruned? I don't like this process. There's many different ways that our God prunes. I want to talk about one that maybe we don't talk about often. Is, you know, when you have fruit, you know, the farmer, the gardener, right? They come and they cut the fruit. And they cut the fruit so that that branch can then produce more fruit. Got me thinking that sometimes, right, it's really easy for us to get distracted by past fruit in our lives that we've produced, that God has produced out of us, to limit us from future fruit. And so God comes and prunes that. So oftentimes we can maybe start to relish on the fruit that we've produced five years ago or 10 years ago. I served and did this 10 years ago, and we watched God do this. And yes, that's amazing. Praise God for it. But the problem is, is sometimes we can get lazy and just hang on to fruit and it starts rotting. I think about our church. I mean, praise the Lord, nine years we've been in existence, and I think about all the different things and the church plants and all the things we've watched God show off and God has produced much through, through our church family. But man, if we just stay and we're like, well, you know, just, well, praise God for that. Remember when we did that? Remember when we did that? And we don't keep producing fruit. God keeps pruning us as a church family, and I'm so thankful for that so that we can produce more fruit. Hence why we're having our third location meeting, interest meeting tonight, because we have to be a church that keeps being pruned so that God can continually multiply fruit out of our church family. It comes in other ways, right? God will cut away anything that would limit our righteousness. So anything that's getting in the way of our righteousness, he is faithful and will help cut it out of our lives, which includes suffering and trials. The other thing that he uses to help prune us is this, like a knife, remember? A sharper than any two-edged sword. And he uses his word to cut us and to shape us. And sometimes we don't like it. And sometimes it bothers us. And sometimes it feels painful. Some of you right now are in a pruning season. And it's difficult and it's hard. And you're, understand, you're just like, I don't understand this. But I want to encourage you today with this truth. Is the pruning that is happening in your life is not a God who's trying to harm you. The God that is pruning you is loving you, preparing you so that you can produce even more fruit. Um, look at Hebrews um, chapter 12, verse 11. If you're taking notes, write this down, especially if you're going through a pruning season. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline, or you can just circle right next to that pruning, because discipline is a form of his pruning, all discipline seems painful rather than, than pleasant, obvious. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been, circle this word, trained by it. I, I, I'm not going to, I know the things that you're walking through and I, I'm not going to say that I understand why or what's going on. But the danger is if we keep just asking why God or we get frustrated with God and we're like, why, 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 why? You could potentially miss the training and the pruning. And look, it's happening. You, you can't, it's, it's happened. You're in it. So you can either waste the pruning or be trained by the pruning and allow the training to take place even though it's difficult, even though we don't understand it and it's hard. I get it. But don't waste the pruning and let it train you and let it shape you. 
How might today you need to just trust God in this pruning season that you're facing? To trust him that he is working all things according to his greater purpose in your life. Then it says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, it says he's thrown away like a branch and it withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. Jesus is making another reference. He made more references to this than he did heaven. Here's Jesus making another reference to hell. And so here's the, here's the next one. You will be preserved when you are connected to Jesus. Preserved from hell. And I know we live in a world where we don't like to talk about hell because it seems very offensive, but we have to talk about hell. Not in a slap someone upside the head with it kind of way, but in a, hey, Jesus loves us so much, that's why he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven when he was here, because he's warning us. Judgment is coming. It's real. I am not just a loving God. I am a loving, just God. I am a just, loving God. And he makes it very clear that if you are disconnected to the vine, that you will not be preserved from there. Listen to this. I mean, just... Take this in, Matthew 13. Here's another, here's another reference of, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. He'll separate them and throw them into the fiery furnace. And that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's real. This is serious. He literally says he'll separate them out. And here's the danger. And I just want to bring this up because here's the danger. It can be really easy to go into your family, to go into a church family like this, and come around and produce this beautiful-looking, shiny fruit, but not be really connected to the vine. Because really... The fruit of this is just Yeah, ew, I know. It's just styrofoam. You're you you're not really connected to the vine. You're producing the styrofoam of the spirit. The self of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Spirit. And you're fooling everyone. I could say a lot here, but I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to let Jesus say it to you. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works like fruit in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Then I want you to hear the translation by Eugene Peterson that he took and translated from the original Greek. Listen to this. He said, I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. 
our super spiritual projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. This line right here, check. All you did was use me to make yourselves look important. Wow. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Is your life producing false fruit because you are connected to the false vine? Or are you connected to the true vine that is producing real, true fruit? You can fool everyone. But all you're doing in the end is fooling yourself. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Did you catch that? Ask whatever you wish. Sign me up, baby. Big bank account, a long life, six-pack abs, come on, new car, a boat, man, like a wakeboarding boat with like all the things you can wake surf. I mean, come on. Not so fast. Notice what it says, if you abide in me and my words in you. And so here's here's the next one. You will be pure in your prayers when you're connected to Jesus. When you're connected to Jesus, your prayers change. As he sanctifies you, your prayers begin to to sound more like what he wants them to sound like. Your requests begin to be his requests. Your petitions begin to be his his petitions as your will aligns with his will. You will be pure in your prayers when you're connected to Jesus. Then it continues in verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Another sign of the fruit of the Spirit that we saw in Galatians, when you are connected to Jesus, the joy of the Lord will be full in your life. It's a joy that is hard to explain. It's a joy that can only come from him that is filling. Then he says this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends and they're about to see that take place. They don't even realize what is truly about to happen. Then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I love that. Not only is he our father, but he is our friend. Which, what's the opposite of friend, enemy? We're no longer enemies. But when we're connected to Jesus, he's our father and he's our friend. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Again, here's the other fruit of love. The fruit of the spirit is love. Not only how much we love God, but how much we love others. A sign of our fruit that we're connected to Jesus is the sign of how we love others. How did you do this week? 
Because the way that we love others is showing the amount of love that we have towards the Father, which is a sobering thing for me. I don't know about you, but the way that I treat and love other people is really the evidence of how much I truly treat and love my King and my Father. Then verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Notice it says you did not choose me, but I chose chose you and appointed you. Here's the next one. You will be predestined when you are connected to Jesus. You are picked. You are picked. Now, I know this brings up a big can of worms. Wait a second. So that means if he picked me, then that means he didn't pick others. That's not fair. Some of you have a problem with this. Well, wait a second. If God knew before the beginning of time, before I was even born, that he was going to predestine some people to heaven and then predestine some people to hell, that's not fair and I want nothing to do with it. And for some of you in the room that are disconnected from God and you're not completely tied to the true vine today, I would just say, I understand what you're saying with that. I don't really have a problem with that. And here's why I don't have a problem with that. Because when Jesus also said, for God so loved the world, that includes you, that whoever believes in him, whoever means you, he is drawing out to you. But then some would say, well, I mean, why don't you get connected to Jesus? Well, I don't want to. Well, why not? Well, I'm just not feeling it. Well, then who really is there to blame? This is uh, the big can of worms of uh, another way that you can say it in a theological term. Many of you heard this term. Some of you maybe are hearing it for the first time. Is There's this idea of Calvinism versus Arminianism. Two theologians that kind of elevated the two different sides. Okay, so you've got the Calvinistic view that you never had a choice in your salvation. You were elect. You were predestined from the start. You had no choice in it whatsoever. You can go, kind of go extreme five-point Calvinist. And then you go over on this side, and it's Arminian, where you had a choice. God isn't sovereign. It's what I want to do. And you have this, these two extremes. This has created a war. This is why there's some different denominations in the, our churches Because so many people have battled over this. There's been so many trees that have been cut down and made into books over this issue. And I truly believe that this doesn't have to be a war. But we still need to talk about it. It's a fascinating conversation. But we have to hit this conversation with humility and teachability, understanding that, you know what, there is some mystery to this. And if you start to talk to someone that's like, no, I got it figured out, then I'd be like, okay, fine. You got it figured out, cool. But if you want to have a dialogue about it, it's fun to talk about because I see all the passages here and I see all the passages here. I'm probably somewhere sandwiched in the middle or maybe over here. I mean, I'm just like, it's an unbelievable outside of the dimension of the mysteries of, of, of God. If you struggle with this, I'm going to give you one piece of, um, here's one analogy that I've heard that always has kind of been helpful. So imagine yourself swimming in a pool and you're drowning it's not good you're drowning and someone throws the rope with a lifesaver attached to it you grab the lifesaver and then that someone pulls you in and when you get out of the pool to safety from drowning because you're almost going to die imagine standing up on the platform and being like 
I save myself. Really? Well, who threw the rope to you? However, the rope was thrown to you, but you still had to grab onto the lifesaver. See the tension? And in God's greatness and his sovereignty, and here's what I always lean into. I lean into the foreknowledge of God. That yes, I don't think I'm just a robot because then it would create the whole problem of evil and you get into all that. But when you think about the foreknowledge of God that he is outside of time, like there's no history to God. He knows it all. He sees it all. And so knowing the choices that we've made even before we've made them in his foreknowledge is what helps give me peace as I wrestle with those conversations. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go in your city groups this week and in your coaching groups and have that humble, teachable conversation with one another. All right? So that'll be fun. That'll be fun for you. All right. All right. Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Here's another one. You will be persecuted when you're connected to Jesus. In some shape or form, you will be persecuted. The world will hate you. Don't be surprised. That doesn't mean that you have to be a jerk for them to hate you. That doesn't mean you have to be a fanatic for them to hate you or be annoying for them to hate you. They will hate you based on your actions by being and acting as the fruit of the Spirit and based on your convictions. Persecution looks different all around the world. Let me give you some stats just to kind of take this in of what's happening currently. This was from last year, opendoor.org. 365 million Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Persecution has skyrocketed over the last decade for Christians. On average, 13 Christians die daily for their faith. 14,766 churches and properties were attacked last year around the globe. That was recorded. Not to mention all the violence taking place, beatings, arrests, rapes, abduction, etc. You fill in the blank with your own imagination. And then to think, in our minds as Americans, that this just happens everywhere else and we're immune to it and that persecution like that will never come to us, we would be naive. The current's already shifted. We are living now in a Christophobic world. Uh, some leaders believe that if you've just had children, or you have children that are in elementary school, by the time that they're adults, being a Christian and being an American will not be compatible. Right now, many leaders are talking about how they see in the, in, in the, in the, in the, in the coming of uh, churches losing their tax deduction status 
So when you give to the church, you can't write it off on your taxes. True gospel-centered churches and schools will lose all of that. Also, they will lose their uh, tax incentives so that every church will have to pay property tax for their buildings and their property. That will crush the American church. Churches will close all over the place and they'll become bars and wherever and real estate agent places. I don't know. The church won't be able to afford it. Maybe, just maybe, that will cause the great awakening in the American church that it needs. Because when you look at around the world, when you hear stories from China, when you hear stories from India, I was talking to a pastor in India last month, and to think about the amount of persecution that's taking place, and yet the amount of multiplication of the church that's taking place, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I want to quote you from... Um, a uh, pastor that he can't give his name because of protection, but here's what he said. Christians in China are praying for our Christian brothers and sisters in America. We believe we are handling our persecution better than they're handling their prosperity. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And that's a promise we can all bank on. When the church is persecuted, it will multiply. You can't stop it. You can't shut it down. So I don't know what's going to happen in your world or in our world or in our lifetime. I can't predict that. But when persecution comes, when you are ridiculed, when you don't get the job, when you don't get the invite, don't be surprised. But here's another thing that we got to ask ourselves. If you're not being ridiculed ever for your faith, Maybe, just maybe, we've blended in too much. Maybe, just maybe, we've become a chameleon too much into the world. Because if you're never, ever getting any ridicule right now for your faith, that's a question we got to keep asking ourselves as connected Jesus followers. Maybe we need to speak up a little more. Maybe we need to stand up a little more to the convictions of God's word and the fruit of the spirit that's coming out of our lives. Last section, verse 26, we made it. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Last one. When you are connected to the vine, you will be proclaiming. You will be proclaiming when you are connected to Jesus. You can't keep it to yourself. The thought of keeping the good news of Jesus, of the true vine, and what that does for you, and the fruit that comes out of your life, you can't keep it to yourself because you want others to taste and see that the Lord is good. And how selfish am I when I keep my mouth shut? Listen, I'm a preacher. I get on stage. I get to share the gospel to you every week. But guess what? That's easy. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not like easy. But when it comes to the gospel, this is a one-way conversation. You're not talking back to me. If you are, we'll ask you to leave. <laughs> I'm in control. No. There's a difference between me talking to my barista, talking to my assistant coach, talking to my neighbor, 
It's a totally different, I, I, just like you, get the jitters, I get nervous. Okay, where's the line? Am I pushing too hard? The whole thing. But we are called to proclaim the name of Jesus because we know that if people are not connected to the true vine, what happens to them when they leave this earth? And so you might be like, oh, I'm not outgoing, I can't. Well, write it down. Write him an email. Write him a letter. There's every single one of us, based on our sphere of influence, have a way of connecting with people that only you can connect with because you're in their life for some reason that God is predestined to be in that neighborhood, to be on that line, to be in that office, to be in that salon. Who else is going to talk to him? Beautiful are the feet that bring the message of the good news. And so, we've heard a lot. When you're connected to Jesus, what do we get? We get all these things. May we take those in. <clears throat> May we let them hit us. And then lastly, we'll just end. Some of you in this room, you are connected to Jesus, and you're recognizing the fruit. You've been challenged by some of the fruit that you need to see God keep multiplying in your life. But some of you, you're sitting here, and you're, <laughs> you know you're disconnected. And I just want to remind you that God loves you so much that he's throwing a line out to you right now. There's a lifesaver sitting out in the water right now when you're drowning. Will you grab it and let Jesus save you? You are sinking. You are sinking because the sin that you've committed, all of us are sinners. We can't get out. We can't get out of it. It's a massive problem, but Jesus threw the line. Now you got to grab the lifesaver. And, and maybe you're playing a game and maybe you're faking everyone out. Maybe today is the day to say, okay, enough of this fake fruit. I'm not fooling anyone. I want to be connected to Jesus. He loves you. That's why he came. That's why he died for you, to pay for your sins so you didn't have to. That's why three days later he rose from the dead, proving he truly is God. And he tells us, if you want to be connected to me, you got to call upon my name and I will save you. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you in the room today. Maybe that's you watching online today. And you just say, you know what, Travis, I've been a phony. Or I haven't been a phony. I've just never connected my life to Jesus. But today is the day I want to connect my life to Jesus, to the true vine. And so if that's you, I'm going to ask you to be bold. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, if you're ready to connect your life to Jesus, you can, I'm going to count to three, and you just raise your hand so I can pray for you. One, two, three. Just lift your hand so I can pray for you. I want to be connected to Jesus. Amen. I see you. Who else? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? You're not alone. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Okay. You can put your hands down and I'm going to lead you through a real conversation with Jesus. And you make it your own. Just say this. Just say, Father, I'm done being disconnected to you. I'm done. Today, I want to be connected to you. Forgive me. Forgive me. You know all my stuff. You know all my past, forgive me. And then just say thank you. Because he just did it. 
thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for dying for me, for resurrecting for me. And then just say, right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. You're my king. As we keep praying, if you owned that yourself, then as we've just heard through this text and reminded that you will no longer perish, but now you've been preserved and you will have everlasting life with your creator and your life truly begins now as the gift of the spirit starts running through your veins. And so Father, we praise you. We thank you for those that have been connected to you for the first time today. We thank you for connecting us when you did. It's unbelievable. God, thanks for never giving up on us. Thanks for shaping us. You are such an amazing gardener. So thank you for that. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Can we just clap for those and praise Jesus for those who've been connected to him for the very first time today? It's amazing. If you connected your life to Jesus today for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. And so whether you're online or here in the room, we just want you to tell someone. Let one of us know. You can text the number, tell someone you came with. We're going to be down here, down front uh, for for, uh, uh, prayer. Come on down, let us know. We just want to praise God for the decision that you've made and help you keep moving towards God. Best decision of your life, write it down. Never forget the day when you were connected to Jesus.